0: Amen. Good morning, Calvary. Good morning to our podcast listeners as well. We started a journey uh, last week that we kind of started last year. If you weren't here last week, then what we're doing is we're going on a journey of intimacy and our relationship with God. And by doing that, we're practicing the disciplines. And last week, we started the disciplines of intimacy with solitude. And you're sitting there going, that makes no sense. But solitude isn't being alone. It's being alone in the presence of of God. And that's a a key thing, because this is really what we're trying to do. We're trying to understand what it looks like to chase after God from now for the rest of our life. And so today's um, discipline is the idea of confession. Now, let me be a little transparent with you. We talked about confession a few weeks ago when we did the Lord's Prayer Sermon series, and we're also going to be talking about confession in a couple of months when we did, uh, we're doing the story of Jonah. So today, I want to take a different look on it and talk about the idea of why we don't confess, because kind of honestly, four year olds know they're supposed to confess, right? So let's let's talk about this and see what this looks like as we begin this journey and what we start with it. And understand that confession is the discipline, but on this journey, what we're looking for is why we don't practice that discipline. And so I want to start with the idea of I went, I've always liked adventure. Now, some of you are sitting there going, Daniel, I know you. You don't really like adventure. You're kind of a guy who likes the plan with the backup plan to the backup plan to the backup plan, right? And I do like the plan to the backup plan to the backup plan, but I also like adventure. And the day I graduated high school, the next day I moved out and never moved back home. Don't know why. My mom never stopped me, my dad never stopped me, it never occurred to me to go back home. The longest I ever spent in my home after that time was three weeks. It was about ten years later, I called mom and I said, Mom, I'm sorry, it never occurred to me to ask you if you wanted me around. She was like, you know, it's okay, that's just kind of your personality. But I went off to this camp in Glorieta, New Mexico, in the mountains, and I was pretty young at that time, and most of the people there were like 22, 23, I was 18, and they decided to go camping and asked me to go. So... If you know anything about me, I made sure they had a plan. What I didn't know is their plan was not up to my standards. And their plan was poor. Because, you see, we went up to the mountains of Santa Fe where there was a ski uh, area. And we got there, and they had stuff. They had, they had tents. But the plan was to catch your own food. <laughs> um, to catch your own food and, you know, and to kind of live off the land and all that stuff. And when we got there, it was raining it was cold rain and we decided to wait there until it stopped raining and then we hiked up the mountain it was a ski resort and what this was hard for my texas mind to fathom in late may early june when we got up to the place where we were supposed to be camping there was two feet of snow still on the ground so we did what any good 18 to 23 year old guy would do we cleared a path and set up the tent And we started to go, we're going to do this. We set out to camp and we're going to camp. And I rolled out my sleeping bag that was rated for Texas temperatures and got in the sleeping bag and and somebody went to go hunt and gather food. I don't know what they did. I don't know. I think they were supposed to fish. I don't remember. And another guy tried to start the fire. And three hours later, we decided this isn't going to work because we could never start a fire. We couldn't catch any food. And so we packed everything up rather than freezing to death. And walk back down the mountain. Now, here's the part where I would like to say we were going down the mountain as the nightfall was approaching and we did not bring any kind of lantern or light because, you know, we were going to create fire, right? So we stumbled our way down the mountain, up spending the night in our car, and then about three in the morning went to a 24-hour diner. I'm sure they were thrilled to see us as we ate some food and stuff. Now, It occurred to me later we could have died because we didn't really know what we're doing. And and so some of you are like, I'm surprised you didn't die, Daniel. I was with other people. But the reality was, on this journey, we went out thinking this was a good idea. It was a terrible idea. It was raining. It was like 40 degrees when we started hiking up the mountain, right? There was snow on the ground. We kept going through all of the signals saying, stop what you're doing. We justified our actions. And the reason that we often sin is the same reason that we plowed through and stayed up there is this idea of justification. Now, we're going to talk about a doctrine today. Who's excited about talking about a doctrine? The doctrine is justification. There's an earthly definition of justification and one that is actually biblical. The earthly definition of justification is this. Justification is the idea of saying that my actions are just because they are right and or reasonable to me. I know what I need for my life. The danger is that our actions are often not just. This can lead us the wrong way or at the bare minimum mean we are carrying baggage we shouldn't carry. We're not doing what we need to do. And the point of this today is to offload the junk, offload the baggage that we do. As the journey progresses, we need to lighten our load because it is a long jersey and we need to come back into understanding what the journey is about. It's not doing what we think is just. It's about following the one who is just. We need to work on our faith. There's a theologian named Shirley Guthrie. Shirley is a man. His name is Shirley. I don't know why. Um, but the reality is, he gives five ways that we justify our faith. In other words, we justify what we believe by the way that we think we should believe. And the first one is we try and justify our faith with hard work. You ever known that person? I had a conversation with a man this last week who said, I write checks to the church. I do what is right. I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a just man is what he was basically saying. But the problem is what makes you just? How many actions can you do to be just? The second idea is we try and justify our faith by being critical of others. And this is where we go, I'm, I'm just. My actions are just because I am more just than the other person. <laughs> this is the equivalence of saying I know I stole $10 million, but I didn't murder anyone, right? Some of you are like, I don't think I would do either one of those, okay? I know I just lied, but it wasn't a big deal. So-and-so down the road. I know I shouldn't have looked here, but you see what I'm saying? Third, we try to justify our faith by being critical of ourselves, And I love this one because this is something I do quite often. It's, I don't really ask God what is right. I sit there and I go, I know I'm not going to go in a bad direction because no one's harder on me than me. Some of you get that. Some of you are like like, that, that's not me at all. Fourth, we try and justify our faith by self-improvement practices. You know, I'm working on myself, and my intentions are good. I didn't intend to run over that person, so surely you can forgive me. I didn't mean to run over them with my car, right? It was an accident, so it was just. No, you killed someone. You ran over them with your car. Your intentions don't really matter, and just because you're trying to work on yourself doesn't mean you're right. Fifth, we try and justify our actions by trying to be good enough. And that's what really all of these are about. The problem with all this is we are defining what is right and what is good enough. In our society, we have a conflict that we face that has been facing our society for a long, long time. Taking it all the way back to biblical times, there was this group called the Epicureans and the Stoics, and they had a, a great civil war going on, and some of you are like, I don't care about the Epicureans and Stoics. What does this have to do with me? Here's the, the two philosophies that came out of those two camps. I feel, therefore I am, versus I think, therefore I am. Does that ever happen still anymore? I feel, therefore I am. So let's talk about this idea of love. Now, I'm, I'm not going to talk about it from the, the world perspective. I want to talk about just in the church. Can we talk about this just in church? There are churches that lean into, I feel, therefore I love, and we say we should love everybody regardless. And it's even practiced with individuals. And this is a very common individualistic thing. Let's take a girl named Jane. I don't know if your name's Jane. I'm not calling you out. I just picked a random name, like John or Jane, okay? Let's say Jane is 22 years old, and she has grown up loving the Lord. But there's a guy named John. And John does not love the Lord, but... Jane knows that she's going to use, God's going to use her story to help John find the Lord. And so she starts dating him. It's called missionary dating. And in my life, I know that God has given me this heart to love him. And out of this love, the the Holy Spirit's going to, and blossom and I can't wait 35 years down the road after all this heartache where you God's going to use this story and he's finally going to come to Christ and therefore God has sent me to all the world and all the world is John. No, don't date John. He doesn't love the Lord. Guys do this too. And we buy into this lie that I feel and we, we rationalize our path. Well, the other side of that is I think, therefore I am. And this is what the, ch- the church is guilty of a lot is that we sit there and we use theology to justify what we believe about love or any topic. But let's go back to love. I love everyone. <laughs> you really don't. Your attitude is that of hate and anger and animosity and you're using the Bible to defend it because you say you love everybody. Now there are biblical truths, but you can't use your theology, I think I know what God says about love and then not love and call it love. Nobody wants to amen that? It's like dagger, me too. Okay, Um, the reality is neither one is correct. So then how do we know how to love? We come into the presence of God. Let me give you another example of the two I think, therefore I am, I feel, therefore I am. And just so that I don't make it just about love. Y'all have heard me in the past, one of the things that I've struggled immensely with is worry. Right? I feel worried. Therefore I'm going to worry. Because I want to worry. Now why do I worry? Because I think Daniel likes a plan with the backup plan to the backup plan and if I think I can think of the plan to the backup plan to the backup plan enough that I can somehow find my way to where I can convince myself I no longer need to worry, Right? But I don't really want to let go of the worry because if I let go of the worry, it means I have to actually depend on God. And while I depend on God, God may have other plans. And so therefore, I don't really like not knowing what God's plan is for my life. So I'm going to take the reins back in my life, and I'm going to pick up the baggage, and I'm going to go on a journey carrying this heavy load because I think it's like— and I, you, try, This table is not heavy, but carry it for 10 miles and see how heavy it is. We do this all the time. We pick up this unnecessary baggage and we carry it on our shoulders and we sit there and we think, because I, I'm now in control, I don't need to be in control. So the way that you define all of this is you come to the place where I know I need dependency. I know I need to understand that God is where I need to lean in and there's no amount of actions, no amount of work, there's no amount of effort that I can do to ultimately help me to know where I should live. Now, this is way longer in the sermon than I like, usually like to go before I introduce you to the scripture. So let's dive into the scripture, okay? And I want us to look in Romans 3, 22, because this is where it gets encouraging, because some of us right now are feeling pretty bad about ourselves testify, and some of us are sitting there going, what hope is there? Because I'm carrying all this burden, and I don't know how to do it. Romans 3, 22 through 24, they're addressing the people at the time who were debating whether or not the people outside of the church could be loved by the people inside the church as much. It all comes back to love again, right? So it says, the righteousness, or what makes you just, of God is through faith, not works, right? In Jesus Christ, to all who believe. Since there is no distinction. For all have sinned, or done something to our relationship, missed the mark of what God wants us to be in our relationship. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. You see, we cannot be just apart from grace. We cannot be just in the eyes in our relationship with God, in our journey to the intimacy with God, apart from grace. So what is grace? Grace is receiving what you do not deserve. Now, here's how we go awry with this. Kids, for Christmas, parents are going to love this. Kids, for Christmas, when your parents give you a Christmas gift, that is grace. But it's Christmas. You do not deserve that gift. (laughs) All the parents are like, preach. (laughs) You don't. I'm going to make it even a little harsher now. On your birthday, you don't deserve anything. Let's make it personal to the parents because sometimes the kids are like, mm, you gotta Father's Day, Mother's Day, you deserve nothing. How's that? Merry Christmas. <laughs> Happy New Year. Great time. Anniversary, you deserve nothing. When you receive a gift, it's grace. But the moment that you go to the expectation that I deserve, it's no longer a gift, it is an expectation. The, no longer you, the place you come to go, I need, I want, it's no longer grace. You're not allowing the person to express and to show love. You're demanding an action because you feel entitled. The reality is everything that God has given us, the gift of grace, we walk and we ignore because we're so used to it. It's my birthday. I deserve, God deserve, I deserve your love and I deserve for you to love me the way that I think you should love me. That's not the way it works. We are justified through our relationship with God and the ultimate result Well, let me read this first. Justification has less to do with morality as with our personal relationships. Justification through Christ enacts to make right not just the way things are done, but the total restoration of who we are. Here's the struggle. You're sitting there going, Daniel, you told me I can't think, therefore I am, and I can't feel, therefore I am, but I don't know how then to be hear me, you need to think. We need theology. We need theologians. Some of you are like, I don't know what that is. Okay, Maybe that's not your gift. We need people to try to think and understand what the Bible says. We need people to discern the intellectual thing, but we need to not make that our God. The understanding of God is different than knowing God. We need all of us to feel and love the love of God, but we don't need to understand that the feeling of love is not what makes you a believer. What makes you a believer is you chase after the heart of God. In other words, what really manifests manifests itself us as we practice this idea of being just in the presence of God and offloading through confession the weight that we're carrying, offloading the burdens that we bring upon ourselves, offloading the things that we sit there and go, this will be fun, huh? Offloading all of that, what ultimately results in is worship. Confession will humbly place you into the presence of God, where you're willing to say, "God, it's not about what I think. It's not about what I feel. It is about what you say you are, because God is love, and in Him is no darkness at all." I sit so there and I go, I don't, "How do I know that love?" Romans five. 6 through 8 says, For while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. (laughs) That's you and me. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, when the Father sent the Son, Jesus, to die on the cross. What he did for us is he said, I am innocent, but I will carry out your transgressions. What is just is you to face the consequences of your actions. But through grace, I'm giving you mercy and grace, and I'm giving you a relationship back to me. And child, no matter what you've done, you can offload it on me. You can lay it at the foot of the cross. You can be free from the bondage of your past. You can be free from the burden that you carry. You can be free from the sin, the shackles that you are carried, the shackles that some of you brought in here, the justification of why you keep doing what you've done, and you wonder why you can't seem to be free from it, it can be all laid at the foot of the cross. That is where the freedom is found. If that doesn't get you excited I don't know what will because God does not want you to have to go around this life going oh the cross the cross is heavy but the burden is light Jesus came to set you free but you got to be free of your own think of way that God works and actually ask God how he works so what does that look like first john 5:10 when I read 1 John, the place we automatically go to is if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And that is absolutely true. But there's a danger in only covering that verse, and I'm going to cover that in a second. 1 John five one five says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and there's absolutely no darkness in him. So as we're pursuing him, what we're really looking for is the relationship with him. As we're going on the path, we're offloading that which is in the dark. We're saying, I'm not going to be in the dark, but God, shine your light into me. Because part of what you believe right now is wrong. That should scare you. Part of what I believe right now is wrong. Now, I don't think the basics, I know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I know what it means to be a relationship. Think about it in marriage. I'm married, right? Right? I know the basics of marriage. I know the basics of my wife, but part of what I think my wife is thinking is wrong. And all the husbands testified, amen. And all the wives said, preach, right? The reality is part of what you think, you know about the person you know in this world most intimately you don't know. But the journey to know them more will help. As that comes to light, it produces an intimacy. It produces a result that will change you. That's why it says, if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. How do you get in the darkness? I'm walking with him, I'm walking. How did I end up here? You walked away from the truth by subtle justification of your actions. This is what I wanted to do and you don't even realize you're doing it. I, and we justify it, we take the word of God and we twist it. This is why the church argues all the time. We take the word of God and we make it about us instead of about worshiping him. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship. That's a very Christian word. That means community. That means walking along. That means doing life with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So how do we know we're walking? We worship him together. Did you get that? But if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Why? Because. I make mistakes. Do you make mistakes? I don't know. I, I sometimes make mistakes. Sometimes. Sometimes. So I, I know. Yes, I make mistakes. And you look like you don't make mistakes. know I do. I do. I promise. Okay. So if then, when we make those mistakes, we confess our sins. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, this is a beautiful passage. In a nutshell, this is what we're, we're saying. This is what we're describing. In this journey of intimacy, in this journey of knowing God, we're going to be walking, and somewhere along the lines, we're going to do things our way. And when we do so, we're going to be picking up a burden we were never meant to carry. And God, in his love, said, don't carry that. Put it down. Let me take that burden away from you. Place it at me. Chase after me. And the way that you do it is you intimately pursue him through intellectual means, yes. Through emotional means, yes. Through spiritual, yes. Through whatever. But the ultimate end result shouldn't be the intellect. It shouldn't be the feeling. The ultimate interle- The ultimate. Uh, result of it is that we are found worshiping God because we see His character and as you are drawn into His character, as you draw into His light, you sit there and you go, I want to be in your presence. I don't want to leave this presence. I want to feel the light. I want to feel the joy. I want to feel all the peace, love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I want to feel your mercy. I want to feel your unconditional love. God, help me to be more like you. This is why we practice confession of sin. we need to understand that confession is painful but not degrading. And when sincere, it is cleansing and free. In other words, confession does this with the Spirit of God. I'm a follower of Jesus, so the Spirit of God dwells within me. If that doesn't make sense to you, I'd love to talk to you afterwards and explain that more. But for sake of simplicity, can you just imagine, there's a Spirit of God living in me as a follower of Jesus. And as I follow him and start doing my own way what I'm essentially doing is I'm trying to mask the spirit of God I'm trying to cover it so that he no longer shines his light and no longer illuminates my path and the more I go my way and not his way the more it covers it up the more and what I'm trying to do in confession is freeing up the spirit of God to actually shine because that's when I will illuminate with the presence of God in my life (laughs) So practicing confession with God should happen as a part of your daily practice of solitude. It's where you get along with God and say, God, show me what my mess is. And like the horror film of your life will unfold, it ends well. But you gotta get through the scary scenes first. But also practicing confession with others, because he does say practice confession with others should produce Change. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, yes, I'm quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I can't believe I'm doing that, but confession is conversion. Conversion is changing. So healthy confession will produce some of the following humility, accountability, encouragement, dependence on God and each other, and community. Just a few other things. But it will bring about the fellowship, the light, us drawing into the presence of God but let me caution you because we in the church know that we're supposed to confess sometimes false confession happens and you need to be aware of false confession how do you know something's false confession it doesn't really produce a change it's just saying verse 9 by itself if i confess my sins he's faithful and just to forget so here i am i'm sorry right the three-year-old kid you say say i'm sorry sorry <laughs> let me give you another illustration When I was a freshman at college, we had a revival service, and the the minister opened it up to allow public confession. And because of that service is why I don't ever do that on Sunday mornings. We will create appropriate places for that to happen, usually in men's ministry or women's ministry with men with men and women with women, because here's what happened. We had a young man get up on stage and say in the following, I need to confess to sister so-and-so that I've been lusting after her. That does not help. Then that girl gets up and we're like, are you gonna go up on stage and slug him or what? No, she got up on stage and she said, I need to confess to all the boys I've been trying to make you lust after me with the way I dress. And I wanted to crawl under a rock and die. That does not help. Because true confession is saying, I want to convert, change if you really are confessing, then you're going to get together with your guys and say, hey, help me to not look where my eyes shouldn't be looking. And then they're going to go, okay, here's a knife. I'm going to gad your eye out. And you go, no, no, that's not what the Bible says, okay? And for her, it's, I'm going to carry myself with dignity. Right? My value isn't going to be trying to turn heads. It's being in the presence of God. So I think you have to be careful because people in this world will know that ultimately conversion changing of the attitude in the heart which leads and is progressed through humility and saying god here i am change me change my thoughts change my attitudes change my beliefs whatever i am is yours and that's why if you disagree with me but you can justify it through the bible careful (laughs) is your justification for you or for the glory of god But if you're glorifying God, we can agree to disagree. But if you're doing it for the glory of you, then may the Lord shut your mouth and mine. I'm tired. Can I just tell you this is not an easy sermon to preach? And so confessing that, I'm not asking you all to come up to me after Goes, I know that was a hard sermon to preach because that would defeat the point of me saying that. But here's what I want you to see. I love you enough to say this is where freedom is found. So here's how we're gonna practice this together. The Monday morning application that you practice by yourself. As you continue to practice solitude, begin your time by asking God to show you any sins that you need to confess. Really simple. Start it, God what do you need me to confess? And say God, Help me to change. It does no good to say, God, I'm sorry, and then continue on saying, I know I'm going to do it again. Now, you may do it again, but you have to at least start trying to not, right? Now, the family one, once again, if you are a family unit of one, you can practice it with a friend. If you live with college roommates, practice it with them. But if you are in a family, whatever is in your house, we want you to practice this. As a family, make apologizing to each other a priority this week discuss as a family unit what makes a good apology. What is the purpose? And how should we receive an apology from another? You can screenshot that if you want, because it's kind of a lot. But let me explain why that's important. An apology isn't the same as confession, but it's the starting out of confession. Right? So here's here's the way this works. I've had kids. I still do, they're not dead. (laughs) I didn't mean that funny, it just came out that way. When, when my kids were three, I used to say, You need to say you're sorry. Right? And so here's how the way this practice is sometimes say you're sorry. You need to say you're sorry. Say you're sorry, and you get some ice cream. I'm sorry. Here's your ice cream, right? No, is that just my poor parenting? I don't know. And that's okay when you're three, because you're trying to teach them to to be comfortable saying the words, I'm sorry. But ultimately, what ends up happening is we have the three-year-olds that turn into seven-year-olds who turn into 12-year-olds who turn into 92-year-olds who still don't understand how to say sorry. They think if I say, sorry, or if you say it in a sweet tone, I'm sorry. That's the same as an apology, and it's just not. So you need to have the conversation. What does it look like to have an apology, and why do we do it? And how would you want to receive it? Now, I'm going to say something else. This is a little harder. Men, especially. If you live in the house with kids, your kids need to see you apologize to your wife. And your kids need to hear you apologize to them. You can't do as I say and not as I do. Moms, your kids need to hear you say, I'm sorry to your husband, but I'm never wrong. Start there. And your kids need to hear you apologize. But it'll make me weak. No, it'll make you strong. The family that confesses together and prays together will grow. Let's do this. Because I think we all need to go. Some of us are coming with many burdens. need to lay him at the foot of the cross. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, know that he died for you. We want to talk to you about what it means to really have a relationship with him. Go by the next step space and say, tell me what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Some of us, we have a relationship with Jesus, but we've been lugging things around for days and we need to just stop. It's time to change. And then next week we're going to talk about simplicity, about how to keep it simple for the sake of not picking up more junk and Maintaining the purity of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We can't do this apart from Christ. But Jesus is here. His presence wants to fall on you like the morning dew. Let him fall on you today. God, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Take us, change us. Make us new. God, help us to feel the the chains fall, the burdens of our past. God, help us to understand what it means to be made new, to experience the freedom, to, to allow the Spirit to grow in His power and His presence in our life. God, if anyone doesn't know you today, help them to understand the importance of confessing they need you, to ask you into their life and to have a relationship with you from now and forevermore. Move. We want to be more like you.